Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It will be a lonely voyage without you. And joining me today to discuss Series 3, Episode 6 is the writer and actor, Paul Litchfield. Hello. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm all right, my lovely. How are you? Oh, you know, just glad to be in Tarrant and not out there where bad things are happening. No, you've just taken me on a little tour of your office and it's amazing because you it's do good, technically right? live inside a ship. <laughs> I'm aiming to get there eventually. I need to get the whole thing like sort of you know, planked. Yeah, absolutely and, um, planked. I've got, I've got to get really planked. But I have got in the garden as well, which you haven't seen. I've got a full size ship. life belt from an old, I, I, I ultimately would like a ship. I've got a very but small for now, Spanish just... galleon in my garden. <laughs> Right. I've just just got the life belt from a real ship uh, and I got it from an, a garden centre that also sells old tap and it stinks like it really smells so Joel wouldn't let me have it in the house but it's it's in the garden it looks lovely oh, red wow. and white thing just propped up against one wall because you've got yeah. you've got a big thing of different uh, sailors knots on your wall haven't you I do I do I have the two hearts beaters one Ooh. the Spanish bowline uh, flat turk's head flat turk's head <laughs> and the two strand Matthew Walker wow they all sound like <laughs> really weird sort of epitaphs on graves yeah. they have worrying names jug sling knot he was as in life a jug sling knot <laughs> it's brilliant i love it paul yes howard's way i know we join the tarantines the, Tar- the, Tar- the, the tarantinos we join the tarantino clan <laughs> yeah. at, at a funeral i know you i bet you didn't even know who was in the no box. so my first question was who did and how did do they die do Good question. And the answer is, it's Mark, Mark Foster. He was a speedboat racer. Ah. He was being quietly cuckolded by Ken Masters. He was sleeping with his oh. dull but very beautiful Not wife, Sarah. Ken again. Mm-hmm. And rather than say, you're having an affair, stop that now, he went and just crashed his boat into a boy while they watched just to punish them. So this accident he had, it was nothing to do with um, nefarious tamperings. He deliberately committed suicide oh in front of his betrayer of a wife and his uh, Why evil Why do that? Partner. Why go um, on 
all the way out at sea to do that. <laughs> made great television. <laughs> it, it, it done blew. It blew up and everything. It was great. Was it? Wow. Yes. Also, they hit one of those exploding boys. That's right. <laughs> you know the ones they have now. Yeah, the ones they have now with a uh, dynamite strapped to the. Uh, yeah, I know them. What, what I loved about this first scene is, as far as I could discern, Jan seems to be dressed like some sort of part-time barrister. Yes. It's amazing. She um, looks like she's just come from a small claims court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her to have another career on the side as well. She's a very ambitious lady. She's extru- and, and also Ken, mm. looking very shifty. Now I know why. Thank you, uh-huh. for the context. But he uh. looks really shifty, like he's just parked his Sinclair C5 in a disabled bay. <laughs> <laughs> like he just, he is, come on, get get the funeral over with. I don't want to get a ticket. at the back. But obviously, Sarah, Sarah is a beautiful widow in black. She looks very good in black. She does, so and she That's throws that lovely rose. A bonus. Yeah, yeah. probably like an Italian mafia widow. And then, obviously, coming out of the church, she walks past Ken, barely giving him a glance. Yeah. He just pointedly ignores him. So, so how, how, many, how many women has now Ken bedded up until now? Let's think. So, there's poor Dawn... Poor, poor Jan. Poor, um, is everyone prefixed with poor? Poor Sarah. <laughs> anyone poor Sarah. who's been on the wrong end of Ken Masters is wow. frankly. Um, no, it was just poor Dawn. So I think three that we know of, but okay. I, I, I can't imagine that's been, you know, the notches on his bedpost will be many more, I imagine. Yes, I'd imagine. Because um, mm. in Tarrant, they, I mean, they've all pretty much had it away with each other, haven't they? There's a small circle, really, of about yes. 10 to 12 people that end up <laughs> sleeping with each other, like some weird sexual pyramid scheme that they're it's, doing. It's for budgetary reasons <laughs> we can't go into. <laughs> anyway, then, so funeral, bad. Then we go to the yard. Yes, and this is Jack something... and the old salty Jack. Yeah, and there's a pinstripe parasite in a suit going through the yard's assets, which really, as far as I can see, are a filing cabinet and a bottle of whiskey. They don't really that own anything else. seems to be Jack's else. moniker, isn't it? Like mm. hidden bottles of alcohol everywhere. <laughs> I'd imagine he's got like miniature tequila bottles from hotels just tucked down his socks. <laughs> Definitely. He's working with Tom. Is that something that's recent or has that always been the case? Oh, what, Jack? Oh, yeah, yeah Jack. Jack and Tom went into partnership in that business. Oh, for, okay. Maybe it was just after you uh, watched the, the episodes of the first series. But yes, so they've been in partnership through through the good times and the bad. Right. Th- three series okay. in now. I know he's like a, supposed to be like a bluff-owed cove who just wears his heart on his sleeve and he's very mm. much the working man's blue-collar uh, sort of representation in Tarrant, isn't he? He's not the high-rolling yes. champagne drinking. He's all, ah, ah, just say it as I see it, etc. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of like him, but he, I reckon he's had some dodgy dealings in the past. Well, I mean, he'd probably be the first to admit that. But um, now he's basically, the boatyard's always in some kind of financial trouble, just constantly. Right. Is that because and... he's fund, slush funding all the money off to like the local oddbins? Yes, I mean, probably. For, for that's, definitely, that's definitely part <laughs> He and, looks and, to and me... And by a lot of typewriters that don't work. Yes. He looks <laughs> ne- to they me, never work. He looks to me that's, is like someone who would willingly end up going down a local high street, closing down all the charity shops, and then somehow the next day they're all replaced with late night over 18 Tamagotchi shops. <laughs> okay. You, know, you really think he's a proper, like, he's a dodgy, dodgy dealer. Seems dodgy. He's, he's that, That's more Ken's style, to be honest. Oh, Jack's okay. straight down there. He just wants to build boats. He just wants to get on, get on with his life and build boats. But obviously, that's always being made very difficult. Um, my favourite line in this episode comes early in this scene, where yeah. Bill, who is another salty sea dog who's just right. there to build boats and get on with his life, is trying to fix the latest broken typewriter in the office and says <laughs> exasperatedly, I build boats! Well, that's <laughs> like, like, yeah, we, did, I build like we didn't boats. know that. <laughs> I just thought it was some chap they had from like, you know, daycare who's just, oh, 
Shut up. Oh, what was that? It's my phone making science fiction noises, which I'll oh, stop can you immediately. Turn, can you turn it off, please? So Paul. sorry, so unprofessional. That's a really old fashioned ringtone now. That's from like 20 years it's ago. It's a really old fashioned <laughs> phone as well. I hate anything new because it means I have to learn something. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I understand that. Nightmarish. Really You're wooden boats. You're not these new plastic tubs, right? No, no, no. I'm a wooden coracle kind of guy. There you are, you see. You fit right in. <laughs> so, yeah, so we leave the yard in disarray. Presumably they're looking to value it because it might be going into administration. Everything's very bad. Back at the high-tech university building... Well, that's what that um, is. A woman called Emma is uh, looking closely at a, a miniature catamaran hull being tested for something, aerodyne, something or other, yes, in a I, water I wrote tank. down it looks like they're dragging a clog through some, uh, through some water <laughs> to, to check for aerodynamic drag or saline solution. That's exactly know, it. wood grain. But it's supposed to be the hull, the hull of a ship. Right? It, or a clog. I like that Or a too. clog. And Tom arrives to <gasps> see what she's found. She's basically trying to prove that his design for a catamaran, what sunk, yes. was not his fault. Like his design was not at fault. They must have hit something. So they've been trying to prove this for, well, most of the series. Okay. Um, well, they get so very close by the end of these, this episode, don't they? I know. Wow. But Tom arrives explaining, because she needs more of a deadline, right. that the bank manager he's going to see on Monday will probably tell him he has to repay his overdraft unless there's some yes. great breakthrough in this case against him. Basically, Tom's received a Dear John letter from his bank. It's like, I'm leaving <laughs> yeah. you. There's no future for us anymore. I'm, I'm seeing other customers. I'm so sorry. Tom's just like, <laughs> he, oh. He goes to the bank a lot to be told no. And it's always like, he, he knows the answer's no. Then he goes to the bank. Then the bank manager says no. Then he comes out looking more sad than ever. <laughs> but at no point do they ever actually just come and start taking his car and his telly and stuff. They just keep saying no. Then we go to Leo, who's being a very sexually uh, inappropriate someone he's teaching to Windsor. And they're both dressed like the contestants from Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Running Man. Really bizarre (laughs) what they're wearing. He's in like that one piece of sleeveless wetsuit. Very strange. So they've decided to make him sort of like a hunk this series. Now Leo's Tom's son, is this right? Yes, correct. Because he looks like the product of sort of Aryan Hitler youth. (laughs) He is very Aryan. He's very very clipped as well, the way he speaks. He's got a really weird delivery. It was the 80s. He talks like he's a genuine lord. (laughs) <laughs> and like everyone else is just his subjects just sort of a slight, slightly annoying him he does have a kingly bearing you're correct yeah about that. and also anyway he's his hand. yeah go on no 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 no. you go well I was about to say there's some Nazi based activity running through this entire episode I hope you're aware right. of this no oh my god that's the first example Leo is probably a genetic creation for the Hitler Aryan youth okay that's well, fair well bed yeah. that in now <laughs> More evidence will be heading your way. Leo just never stops taking abuse on this podcast. I'm really sorry. Really? <laughs> yes. He is very wooden, I suppose. Well, it's not so much that. I think it's just his character is very... His character doesn't have any power in any of the scenes he's in. So he's always on the back foot. He's always sort of... He's always bending over and taking it, basically. Right. <laughs> and after a while, you just think, come on, Leo. But it's not his fault. He didn't write his own character. Be- anyway, Because he's on. desperately in love with this lady. But he's not sure whether he's been taken well, for a ride he's, or... Yeah, I think, he's, I think he's afraid of her. I was slightly much. afraid of her. She's, she's yeah, no, she's you should terrifying. She's, she is terrifying. You... So go on. Why is he a Nazi? Oh, he just looks like that generic look from 1980s movies when, when they go, and here is what we consider to be the future of the world. When <laughs> they pull down a massive towel or towel? No, why would someone be standing <laughs> underneath a towel? A huge cloth and then there's some sort of Aryan weird Adonis youth. It's just the way well, You're being quite nice well. about him. You're saying he's a perfect physical specimen and that's, you know, Yeah, but he's a enough. perfect Nazi specimen. So, you know, <laughs> okay. You, 
they, they, that's no, not they're, quite so positive. they're not quite. There's something slightly off with them. But this scene is peculiar because obviously it's, it's, it's designed to make Amanda jealous. Amanda has fallen foul of him by, um, well, he found out she's engaged and she's been trying to crack onto him for days and weeks now, omitting to tell him that she's, still, she's engaged to somebody else. So he's sort of punishing her, presumably, by being a bit flirty with this woman who's come to learn how to windsurf. But frankly, I'm sorry if I'm going Very for windsurf and I don't want someone grabbing my arse. No, exactly. Thanks. My so it's a bit, it's a bit 80s. Yes, yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, he's literally got his arms around her, isn't he, at one point? Yeah, properly. And then obviously Amanda, her jealousy peaked, kind of flounces off. And to show her frustration, she kind of gently slaps a surfboard. <laughs> That's right, yes. She, <laughs> Which she does not do with any conviction. And I wish they'd cut that because it did not work. She, she gently throws a shark in through a window. <laughs> oh my God, she's vicious. <laughs> Would have been more dramatic, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Then we go to Jan, who's on the phone. And she says a a lot, very well, Mr. Leverett. Very well, Mr. Leverett. Mr. Leverett. Yes, Mr. Leverett. Mr. Leverett, (laughs) that's such a Victoria Wood name. (laughs) It is, Mr. Leverett. (laughs) But you can't tell by the end of the phone call. They do this a lot in Howard's Way, the double bluff. Like, it sounds like the phone call's ended badly. Yes, and then suddenly, we've got three boutiques. That's amazing. And she does the whole thing whilst being measured up for her beautiful evening gown by Anna. Anna, her new fashion designer, made this really rather chic black thing with a kind of low V back. And obviously she wears it beautifully. Yeah. She looks incredible in clothes. It's amazing because Um, she has this conversation on the phone, which is all, which, as you're saying, is steering towards bad news whilst mm. Anna's nervously measuring her clavicle. (laughs) (laughs) She is. It's important to get the clavicle just right. We've got it. We've got it. And here is the character that is always Jan's mummy. Oh, lovely Dulcie Gray. She's brilliant, but I think she's a bit of a... To me, she's like a cross between Mary Berry and like a raptor, but with a clutch bag full of Stanley knives and Murray mints. She's she's got this real sort of like she could turn at the flick of a coin. Yeah, I don't think she'd be upset with that description were she here today. Kate takes no prisoners. She's kind and she's maternal, but she's also very no-nonsense sometimes. and can just Yeah, because we see more evidence of this later on at the races where she's sort of invited to join in. She goes, no. (laughs) Yeah, I... Do you know what? She's lived through two wars. Like she doesn't need your bullshit. Yeah. She's got her own stuff going on. But not only, not only did she live through two wars, she started two wars. She probably did, she, just by she being was, damned she pretty. She was the one just <laughs> somehow started it. She's a really good character because one minute she's very affectionate and very loving and then she'll just say something really cutting and then wander off. Mm. Later in this episode, she's really quite Passive, chilly, aggressive, yeah. It's nice. So anyway, Kate tells Jan, while Jan gets changed behind a screen out of her evening dress so it can be finished for dinner that evening yes. with Sir Edward, Kate says, she's worried about Leo this Amanda situation doesn't appear yeah. to be also, going when, too well when she gets changed behind the screen you can see the people in the office just behind so <laughs> from their point of view if they're looking they could just see Jan taking a they're getting off. a treat yes yes exactly <laughs> it's bad set design there sack the designer <laughs> But yes, this is where Kate says, it was obviously Jan's talking about just being busy with business and Leo can look after himself. Mm. And Kate, I think, wanting to bring her back to reality a bit, says, don't forget someday when you go back home, you'll find all the rooms are empty. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, wow. Shove the knife in a little bit. I know. Just going, look at my success, mum. Look at my success. Yeah, will you enjoy it? Mm. I think at one point, Jan made a really good strawberry conserve that was better than her mum's at some women's institute thing. That's it. And she's never forgiven her daughter (laughs) it's always in the back of her mind like how dare you usurp me one day I'm going to crush you yeah I'm going to crush you (laughs) you won't know when but I'm coming for you I'm going to tell you when constantly but you won't know when (laughs) oh mother that makes it even worse (laughs) the veiled threat 
Do you want to talk about your mum, Paul? Is this where did she did you make jam? Is this is, is this what we? Mum used to make a blackberry jam. <laughs> yeah, the old traditional Devon way oh. by sending me my brother out to steal it from gardens and hedgerows, <laughs> and also apples as well. Um, and then <gasps> fabulous. She would turn a stool upside down and take a, a new pair of tights. I must stress, oh. stretch them over, and that's what she used to do to drain the uh, jam. So you that's incredible. You boil up all your all your fruits and then you pour them in the outstretched tights. Got yeah. Then all the li- wow. all the liquid will fall through eventually leaving all the pulp and then you've got this amazing pulp jam tight <laughs> cudgel that you can fling around and hit people with, which you should never do because it causes endless mess such sticky mess what an oogie mess <laughs> every day is a school day thank you for that jam lesson you're welcome um then we go to charles frere's house slash office slash business what is this area. all about who the hell are praximo, praximo? right so business scenes traditionally in this podcast we just write down anything you caught because none of it really makes any sense holding percent overextended AFTC's uh, <laughs> situation Grunwald Gerald says a lot of stuff about that and then Charles turns out Charles discovers his dad has been talking some shit about his business part behind his back because his dad wants right. to ruin his business they're enemies and Charles's desk there's the Nazi eagle is your second example ah, of right. uh, there's a weird sort of golden Nazi it looks exactly like the Nazi emblem. now you come to mention it it's all getting a little bit it's there hitter. and he looks like some weird sort of part-time milk tray man yeah he's gorgeous though isn't he but wouldn't he turn up at your house and then sort of <laughs> leave you milk tray but also he'd leave you like a little bailiff's warning <laughs> you know it, it, it's a double edge with him yeah i think you're right but that's basically a good way of summing up his character you're you're very good at this so is he um, is he the guy julia that because you just said he's gorgeous it, is he your go-to in Howard's way? Charles? Um, I'd say perhaps perhaps as a more mature woman, I'm enjoying Charles more oh, now. Okay. I think I think I when I was little, when this was on, I thought I think I thought Tom was just very nice and sort of reassuring. So I think right. I, I don't think I fancied Leo. I don't I don't think I no. really fancied any of them. But if I had to fancy someone, it was the one who designed boats and wore lovely jumpers. Yes, that was my <laughs> that was my. He looked like a lovely weatherman. He's unthreatening. Um, anyway, Charles wants AFTC in the bag. And what's AFTC? Yes. Right. Right. Okay. Because at one point it's actually referred to as the AFC. Someone forgets to say T. Oopsie. It's, it's, it's in another scene later on. It doesn't on. matter. They know people are tuning out for this business stuff. We, <laughs> we want dresses, boats and sex. We don't really want the business stuff. It's just a way of keeping gaps between the other more exciting yes. stuff. Then we go to Leisure Cruise where Sir John is now explaining to Ken, obviously he already knows this, but we need to know this, that since the death of Mark in his cuckold speedboat accident right. suicide, Sarah, his wife, now becomes controlling a shareholder of okay. Leisure Cruise. She owns two thirds. Ken now only owns, <sighs> owns one third. Uh. And obviously Sarah isn't talking to Ken because of like the dead husband problem. My name's Jason Fleming. The More Than My Past podcast will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people. People who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turn their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But doesn't, so. doesn't this sort of business stuff alter week by week? So at one week, one's got two-thirds control. The next week, the other <laughs> one's got two-thirds control. The week after, the local dog's got two-thirds control. Yeah. It just it changes at a quite a pace, doesn't it? It does. If you follow the paper trail, it all, it all does kind of add up. But basically <laughs> now, Sarah has got Ken over a barrel because she's, you know, obviously for most of this episode, keeps her cards close to her chest. Right. She's mostly just distraught at the loss of her husband, who she was cheating on, and just feels very guilty. But no. yes, Ken is in danger of losing a lot Got if you. she sells Now I need to talk to you about to Sir John. Else. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Did you recognise the actor, Sir John? Oh, now what's he been in? Because obviously he's been in everything. He was the Nazi genetic scientist in A View Shut to a Kill, James up. Bond. Shut I'm telling up. you, there's a Nazi connection running <laughs> through all of this. It's <laughs> it unbelievable. Is. I looked at it's him incredible. and went, he's that big mad scientist with um, Zorin in A View to a Kill. Looked up at IMDb. Yes, it yeah. is. It's the same actor, Willoughby Gray. Chubby yeah. plays Sir John. It's the Nazi scientist helping out Zorin in a view to a kill. What are the chances? So You've this uncovered is madness. some kind of deep Nazi plot in yeah. a way that I just was not aware uh, of. I'd like to think that was your reason for doing this, Julia, in the first place. Ac- was, um, no, but now you mention drip it. over five series you're going to reveal. <laughs> yeah, as if the right wing needed any help from me. <laughs> no, but I have to say, watching this series, I have been feeling unaccountably more right wing as the series has gone on and I haven't really been well, able to put my finger are. on why. Blues are there. <laughs> Leo Hitler Youth, Charles's uh, Hitler <laughs> memorabilia and an actual Hitler scientist. Wow. Okay, well, I'm going to try and be a more aware person yeah, now let's... because I feel like this is having an influence on me. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, so John and Kenneth have this discussion about the shares in Leisure Cruise and then he gets down to it, Sir John, and he says, I'm asking you to be candid, Kenneth. <laughs> he wants to know, were you doing it with Sarah? Are you doing it with Sarah? And are you going to marry her? Well, which he also talk- definitely he isn't also, on the cards. He also talks about guilt. And Sir John says, guilt in a woman's mind could prove very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> like they can't handle it. We're fine. But they, their little brains, oh, they cannot handle it. Very guilt. dangerous having to process guilt. Anything could happen. <laughs> they might start sewing or laughing yes. or asking for chocolate. It's terrifying. Madness. <laughs> So anyway, Sarah won't talk to Ken that much is true, right. which puts a great deal of strain on Ken because he's not sure how. He knows he's going to have to manipulate her somehow, but how and will she be open to it? Like suddenly that stuff isn't working anymore. What with her husband being dead and everything. Yeah. Then at the Howard's house, Leo arrives and Jan is stunning in her now finished black gown. Yes. And he's very angry that his mum is going out again with Sir Edward, like in a very Freudian way that I'm not comfortable with. Whenever she goes out with Sir Edward, he's just like basically acts like a jealous boyfriend. Is is Sir Edward the first person that Jan has been seeing since splitting up with Tom or is she no Ken? Oh no, Ken, before obviously. that she saw Ken and then Ken paid to get Leo beaten up. So oh, you'd think he'd my. be yeah. pleased at least she wasn't with Ken anymore. But apparently Sir Edward makes him very angry. And then he says something like Jan is acting like a groupie <laughs> and Jan just sort of brushes him off and leaves. The, the chauffeur-driven Jaguar is yeah, outside so to pick don't, her up. Don't wait up. Quite don't right wait too. up. She's off. Mm, and as it turns out, don't wait up, like literally don't wait up. <laughs> um, and then after she goes, Kate says to Leo, tell me, my dear, what is a groupie? 
<laughs> I'm like, yes, let's hear the explanation for that. But we don't get to hear that. He just says, oh, never mind. Again, I, I, love I can imagine asks. Leo going, well, Nana Groupie is when, and then she'll just go, oh, yes, of course, just like when I was on tour with, you know, and then suddenly launched. Noel Coward. No, <laughs> Noel Coward. Noel, Dol- Dulcie Gray used to hang out with Noel Coward. She's <gasps> really? a hit songwriter. Oh, wow. She wrote a hit song and she used to hang with Noel. And Noel, there's an amazing quote about um, if you want to, if you want to party, invite Dulcie Gray. <gasps> So she knows what groupies are. Nice. She probably was the original groupie, quite frankly. Oh my anyway, in a classy way, in a cool, classy, holding a martini kind of a way. Uh, then we go to the unhappy Urquhart's house. Yeah, what's where, going on here with, well, with just, Polly and him? It's hard to put your finger on it. So long story short, his long-term friend, who we think probably is his lover, is very, very ill and has not long left to live. Right. This is a man, by the way. Okay. So the person he really loves, not Polly, is slowly dying somewhere off camera. So that was weighing very heavily on his mind. Right. He didn't really talk about it. Uh, but he sort of opened up to Polly a little bit about it. Meanwhile, he's always under pressure from Charles, I suppose. He's being used as a kind of a mule in Charles's business dealings. Yeah. Thanklessly, mostly. He never gets thanked for it. And Polly is just generally preoccupied with the fact that her husband just isn't himself because he's under pressure and they don't really talk anymore. And just, you know, although it's a lavender marriage, everything in terms of their communication appears to have gone a bit up the swanee. Right. Um, they're living separate lives, Paul. Oh, in a big, dusty old manner. They don't even say hello. No, he comes in and she just stands there doesn't she staring at her porcelain looking at the wall yeah and then he sort of goes I must say something oh I won't exactly then Then we go to Highfield where Sir Edward lives in his giant empty echoing mansion covered in expensive artwork yes and he's very much courting uh, Jan here isn't he oh my god and how he's like keen as mustard he even says that he's just as old as the cognac he's drinking (laughs) yes I I just wrote down flirty old cognac yeah flirty old cognac because the cognac's old and so is he but that's not going to stop him from you know technically she's young enough to be his Horlicks <laughs> yes she really is doomed from the start this should never it's quite be a, the age gap relationship not be a pairing and I love every scene in Her's Way that always starts that was a lovely meal you yeah. never see the meals what we're not we're not meal? no we're not getting the prop food in we're not getting catering like just have coffee in the ante yeah. room you're not eating that it's was a expensive. wonderful pot noodle Sir Charles <laughs> I like to think that's what he served her. <laughs> pot noodles but, but on a silver tray yeah Thanks for giving me the last McNugget. Exactly. (laughs) Probably didn't have those then, did they? Cripes. Anyway, they always have these strangely veiled conversations about family and business and work-life balance. And obviously that quote from Kate still ringing in her ears about coming home to find all the rooms empty. And then the, the the image of the empty house is brought up again because she's admiring the house. He's saying, but it's empty. It's yeah, like, hey, I know. Trying it's, to work out whether um, they want to live in each other's houses. You to do a house swap or it, I don't know. It's very rare in Howard's way that you get people just sticking to one road of point. In other words, I'm here to woo you. You're here to woo me. Every conversation, <laughs> whether it's about business or sex, intertwines with the other constantly. Exactly. They can never exactly. keep to one Oh, it's like road. a dance, Paul. It's beautiful. Oh, it's a beautiful dance, isn't it? Yeah, I like. I genuinely, I've been a little bit critical of the scripts up until this this episode. Oh, really? I quite like this one. It's written by Anthony. I'm going to flick to the end of my notes here. Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Osborne. Anthony Hopkins. No, Anthony Osborne. Oh, okay. And it's this script is good because they like bless him for doing this in like an hour long Sunday night drama. But he keeps on returning to the theme of the severance of family bonds and then the competition between families. Yeah. He tries to bring themes in the image of the empty house. Like he's really gone for some proper there's symbolism, some, a some theme, nice like a flavour. Sort of insular looking inward moments throughout this episode which yeah, a lot of people yeah. are sort of going oh my god I think I've regretted every decision I've ever made mm, it's quite philosophical anyway it's lunch now 
Yeah, and then well, let's get again. let's get pissed in a wine cellar. Yeah. Um, now was it now, now was it the author's idea or was it the director or the producer's idea? Because every time Leo is either on screen, especially when he's mm-hmm. on the phone, he has his own mini sax theme. Le- it's Leo always, or Ken? Sorry, Ken. It's Ken. Sorry, Ken. Get so the it, names right because Ken wah, does. Wah, I mean, wah, 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 yeah. It's been a trope <laughs> since series one, I believe. Carrie Quinlan, the first ever guest on this podcast. Yes who's just, just returned this series as well, actually, said that man is a walking saxophone and yeah. I think never has a truer word been Every said. time he's on screen, there's a t- he has a tiny little, his own personal little sax thing. That's because he's, he's tasty. To deno- no, but isn't it to, to denote sleaze? It's to denote that he's got one thing on his mind. He's he late always night, has an agenda. Sultry jazz club stroke. He is. He's Chardonnay, warm white wine. Chardonnay, Chardonnay. He's always ready to seduce. He's yeah. Just, he's, uh, it's but also just the seal next the step. deal. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seduce in business or seduce in the bedroom. Because I, I reckon <laughs> you, you, not you, Julia, but you, if so, someone could do reverse cowgirl with him and he'd be having the time of his life, but he'd also, wow. he'd also be signing the document on her back. <laughs> You know what? Yes. Okay. I'll take. Horrible imagery, but I'm afraid that's just Ken. No, you're right. You've got him down to a T. Anyway, he's sitting there with an open bottle of whiskey, tapping a number into his portable telephone. Yes, brilliant. Um, And then he reaches once again Sarah's voicemail. Her voicemail is so (laughs) over-enunciated. It's insane. She finishes every word with every consonant, really. It's just an odd. I've been to finishing school. Yes, clearly. (laughs) Clearly you have. Um, Also, um, Ken's office is beautiful. It reminds me Mm. of my bedroom in the 80s we've had this conversation loads Absolutely of times on this podcast brilliant. because we all know someone we gray either had it ourselves Ferrari red exactly gray red black accents yeah. maybe bit of black ash furniture red chairs it's just really i mean beautiful in some senses but you wouldn't want to live in it now oh like God, no. absolutely not <laughs> and i'm sitting here in a pink office covered in nautique but that's <laughs> by the by it's not red and black. That's and, just too much. And does Ken use a tanning salon? I presume he does because he's always tanned. I mean, he's, look, he? he's looking like maybe he's popped to the south of France or something. Hasn't he just? Mm, I reckon yeah. he's in the tanning salon in, in between meetings. I would not put it past him. Probably in like those tiny paper pants. Oh, no, he'd be a Speedo kind of guy, wouldn't he? Oh, no, probably, yeah. Speedo. Budgie smugglers. Yeah, no, no. That, Speedo, it was, it was, but, that, but, that was but the way. with his massive mobile phone just tucked in the band. <laughs> just in case he got that call from Stuttgart. Yeah, he'd always be reachable. Yeah. So, sexy sax, Ken, Sarah, despair, gloom, doom, yeah. despair. So she blames she herself, I presume. Oh, yeah, she blames Ken and she blames herself. She's turning some of her anger outwards, obviously, as we see towards the end of the episode. Right. A lot of it inwards. So, just the whole reminder of what they did and what, what okay. happened to Mark. Is something she can Because I wasn't still sure at this point whether, um, now you've cleared it off, it was suicide. Because I, I just think, oh my God, are they complicit in something? Have they done... I mean, replaced, as far as she's concerned... Petrol with fairy liquid or something. I just, like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was entirely their fault, but it was Mark's very unique way of dealing with infidelity. Right. <laughs> suicide. Yeah. Okay, fine, cool. So we leave Sarah in despair. Then we go back to Sir Edward, who's looking up at the painting. Now, crucially, this painting, we see him looking at it a lot. It symbolises his competition with his son because he was a phone bidder at an auction. He knew right. that Charles wanted that painting. He didn't really want the painting, but he uh, he outbid him anyway because he hates his son. Oh, so God. they talk about the empty That's house horrible. again. Yeah, the high field is full of artworks and, you know, gold. And Jan's super impressed with it all. She's literally going, I can rearrange this room in about two minutes to my liking. Honestly, it's like she might as well be getting a tape measure yeah definitely and then 
she's kind of I can't really see what the I mean I can see that she's attracted to his wealth and status and power she's not really attracted to him though is she it doesn't feel like she's she's never shown any signs of really fancying him but she's kind of overwhelmed with the the old flirty brandy and the the painting and she kisses him she snogs him while he or she lets him kiss her yeah that's the weird I was very uncomfortable with this scene because it really desperately looked like she wasn't remotely interested and then she went well I suppose if I need to get my hands on all the tapestries I need to uh, (laughs) put out a bit and that, and then she goes in for the clinch and it looks <laughs> it doesn't look entirely sensual and lovely and com- no it doesn't no, it, it really just doesn't. seems a bit like she's going oh god all right then but ugh. There, there doesn't appear to be much of an attraction there but he's he doesn't care he's just like lovely fruity woman yes please and has and he, he always had an eye for jam oh i'm from the day they met they only right. met this series okay. but yes he definitely has Got you. then we go to a dark room emma is working late developing pictures of boats and she basically doesn't have anyone to act with in this scene so she comes out of the dark room goes to her desk turn the lights on looks at said picture yes and says my god it's true yeah she's seen something that none of us have seen and that thing we don't know what is torsional stress factors thank you i mean i this is why i got you on the podcast because i know you're an expert in those torsional stress factors if you just want to explain what those are that'd be really helpful at this well, point. Um, if you do yoga you can get torsional stress factors <laughs> if you don't warm up first yes so exactly. you you can salute to the sun just too, with too much effort and you'll get torsional stress factors running <laughs> down your thighs and uh, up your back it's very painful actually a- I've heard. agony agony and then you have and to- they take a long time to heal yeah you, you have to jump to the bottom of the ocean and just lay low for about an hour and then they will because the salt water is good for them yeah. saline is extremely good for torsional stress Thank factors yes yes see, i knew you'd know, know all about this then back at the howard's house it's the next morning yes jan has clearly not been home she... leo cannot contain his disgust dirty little stop out <laughs> he's fuming and he's so angry he's basically arguing with his dear dear grandmother to the point where he sort of storms out and then she calls him back and says pax <laughs> i used to do that with my brother we used to say pax because we were pretentious children i just as leo realized that he has just no point in in anything oh, that's why him, he's I so know. angry all the time he's impotently angry yeah he is. men in, men in howard's way are either completely like have enormous knobs or speedboats and or fast cars and huge Leo's got none portfolios of or you or they're just they have they're dickless Right. And the last person who had no no genitals was Mark Foster, and he had to drive uh, into a boy. So Leo's the same then. He's little dickless. He's just very Aryan, impotent in every Aryan situation. Aryan with a leaky canoe. Yeah, he might look like the physical ideal, but he doesn't have any genitals. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's just all just, smooth, smooth like an action man. He's like a Ken Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> wow in terms of his agency i mean that's certainly true yeah so uh as, as a peace offering kate says to leo why don't you come to the races with me and he's like all right then but he's still furious about his mum having sex with someone how dare she have <laughs> any semblance of a life very very old then we go to Walt marine where avril is furious with jack because he's come to ask for yet another handout to save the boatyard and she's like no i gave you three thousand pounds already doesn't and he, he say her, get him best get him best <laughs> yeah he also accuses her of swinging with the big knobs swinging with the big knobs go with yeah. Ch- is it to go with charles and just get him pissed and then you'll get yeah she's going to charles's french chateau, chateau. For the weekend to taste his wine yes if you know what i mean mm. And yes, and Jack says, well, great. Can you just get him pissed, then ask him for the money? And she's like, oh, all right then. <laughs> Ail you out again. So that's all very unethical. Back at Fashion HQ, <laughs> Anna's being hassled by her oppressive Chinese father over the phone. We think about an arranged marriage. That oh, she's not is to that what it is? I wasn't sure what it was. I, I wondered whether it was like, you should be a doctor like everyone else in our family. How dare you go into the frivolous world of fashion? 
Well, actually, he works in a well. He runs a kind of sweatshop making low-end fashion for does, like. Does the he maybe work for Praximo? Oh, I don't think so. No, no oh, damn. Possibly, maybe Primark. I need to find but anyway, more about Praximo. He, <laughs> make that your homework. Yeah, no, he runs a clothing factory, and I think he said he only allowed her to go to fashion college so that on graduation she'd come and design clothes for him. And then obviously Jan spotted her potential and brought her into the world of high fashion where she belongs. But he's still right. trying to arrange a marriage for her. That's the Anna <gasps> story. But it's just clearly a B plot this episode. They're just making sure we remember that she's hassled and under lots of right, pressure. Yes, yep. Jan swans in, obviously doing the walk of shame, but in a an amazing new outfit. So she must have just just popped home to get some more fashionable clothing. Yeah. This huge, like, batwing sweeping kind of jacket, skirt. Oh, she looks amazing. <laughs> but probably still smelling of Sir Edward's cologne. Oh, um, Only to meet who, but... claret and cognac. I know, yeah. old cognac that's as old as him, and certainly a lot older than her. And then and she surprised to see Tom there, who slightly awkwardly asks her if she wants to buy some shares in the yard. Yes. The business she has no interest in at all. And she sort of goes, says, yeah, yes. all right. And that's where we'll have to leave my chat with Paul today, but do come back tomorrow for part two. See you then. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, you, don't, uh, you don't have to do it. That so. weird kadunk that yeah, lights well, going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious.